Welcome to a special live episode of Suspending the Rules from Bloomberg Government. Inside, you'll hear from the BGov legislative analysts about what's on the congressional agenda for the coming year. It was recorded at a live panel on January 30th. Democrats have asserted the power of their House majority, forcing the president to reopen the government until February 15th without funding for a border wall. That new dynamic will affect the coming policy debates over budget and appropriations, environmental policy and climate change, health care, infrastructure, and other issues that come up along the way. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Adam Shank, Sarah Babbage, and Daniel Parnas. And now to the panel. Uh, thanks, Lauren. Um, so before we jump in, I'll just talk about what everybody covers very quickly. Um, Danielle covers health, labor, and education. Uh, Adam Taylor covers environment, uh, climate, and judiciary policy. And Sarah covers transportation, uh, tax, and trade. Um, so today, before we jump into questions, um, you know, we've heard both the senator and Chairman Yarmouth talk about the shutdown a little bit. Um, you know, it's on hold till February 15th while Congress works out a measure to fund the government and border security measures. Um, at this point, it's sort of unclear what that deal will include. We've heard DACA and TPS, or temporary protected status, might be in it, might not be. Um, there was the sort of reporting this morning about the debt limit, and you know we heard the sort of ping pong on that uh, between the members. Um, so the one thing about the debt limit is you do have extraordinary measures so that softens that deadline a little bit and it can get pushed out until probably mid-September I think was the last report um, so I think we're gonna set that discussion aside and if there are questions about it we'll, we're happy to answer those at the end um, but for now I think let's talk about what Congress might get done um, and we'll start with sort of the deadlines that drive action um, so what are the deadlines and you know how will they affect sort of the policy debates going forward um, I'll start us off. Um, two things that I'm watching, um, the tax filing season just opened and um, the deadline to file is the middle of April. Um, there are expired tax provisions hanging out there um, that Congress needs to act on if people are going to be able to, um, to use those provisions on their 2018 taxes. So um, are, is Congress going to act on those? And then uh, that's going to be the first piece of tax legislation this year that um, technical corrections to the big 2017 tax overhaul could get added to. Uh, and that's something Republicans want to make those changes so that um, some of the little um, issues with the 2017 tax overhaul um, can be fixed again before 2018. Um, will, uh, will Democrats agree to go along with that? Will they use that as a bargaining chip to get other tax changes? So. That's one piece of um, legislation that I'll be watching for. Um, the other thing that I'm watching in my portfolio is on trade. Uh, we have two big um, events coming up on trade in the next um, month or so that will set the trajectory for the administration's policy going forward on trade, I think. Um, the Commerce Department needs to make recommendations on whether to impose a tariff um, could be as much as 25% on automobiles. That would be something um, some members of Congress have said they're concerned about. And then there's, the, of course, the uh, negotiations with China going on right now and the deadline for the administration to decide whether they want to increase the tariffs on China on $200 billion of Chinese imports is March 1st. Um, if they go along with that, then that's going to signal another escalation in the trade war. And the question will be, 
Um, does that get to the point where some members of Congress start to really push on legislation to rein in the administration's authority on trade? September 30th is always a, a big deadline in Congress. It's the end of the fiscal year. Obviously, we're not even done yet with fiscal 2019 that we're in the middle of, but there's still a big fight ahead on the spending caps for fiscal 2020 because currently it's scheduled to go back to um, was it the sequestration levels or the lower levels that were in place before the two-year deal that they did last year, which right. is for 2017 and 20, I'm sorry, 2018 and 2019. Yeah. So, um, you know, that affects both defense and non-defense spending. The fight is usually that Democrats want sort of um, equal increases in non-defense spending if there are increases in defense spending. I think probably most lawmakers don't want um, to go back to the reduced levels. But the question is, do they offset it? How do they get there? Um, and we still haven't really heard much about that talk yet. Right. And the one thing I would add about that is on the defense side, we've, we've heard some chatter from, um, you know, uh, I believe it's Senator Inhofe talking about increasing or he's saying he's convinced the president to accept a, a, an increased amount for the Defense Department, even though the department is sort of shuffling around and trying to reduce costs sort of within its management structure and in other areas. Um, but some numbers that have been floated have been $730 billion, $750 billion, so that would definitely require a cap increase um, to, to accommodate that level of spending. And, and the Democrats will no doubt uh, ask for a similar increase on the domestic side as well. Um, and then on September 30th, if you actually go back a year to 2018, the Land and Water Conservation Fund authorization lapsed on September 30th. Uh, under, until then, uh, a big chunk of money that comes into the federal coffers from offshore oil drilling actually went directly into this fund that could be appropriated to build new parks, to acquire land, uh, and that expired. So that fund is no longer receiving additional money automatically. Um, and there's unused money in it, so it's not as vital. But as that draws down, you're going to see a lot of, especially interior uh, members of Congress, be more uh, forceful about wanting to see that reauthorized. And then just to jump in, at the end of the year, there's, um, you know, I believe it's two of the ACA tax provisions that have been suspended go back into effect for next year. So that's something that... Um, you know, Congress would need to decide if they want to address that. Would they suspend it again? That's the medical device tax and the health, insur health insurance tax. And then, um, you know, also potentially look at other taxes that people have talked about trying to roll back a little bit, such as the Cadillac tax, which hasn't gone into effect yet. Um, so that will definitely be on the radar. I know that um, Chairman Neal on Ways and Means Committee has said they would take a look at that. So that will certainly be on the agenda. Yeah, and I think sticking with Chairman Neal, um, Sarah, you, you brought up taxes. What, what is it that Democrats want to do on, on tax policy? Uh, so I think one thing we're hearing is a lot of interest in maybe increasing the corporate income tax rate. The 2017 tax overhaul reduced it to 21%. And we're hearing the Democrats' um, budget resolution in the House might um, increase that rate to 28%. So. Uh, that's a possibility, but beyond that, I haven't heard a lot of clear agenda of what Democrats want to do in regards to the 2017 tax overhaul besides hold hearings. So I think um, they're still formulating an agenda and figuring out um, what, thing, what kind of changes they want to propose either to that or uh, larger changes. 
Uh, and then the other thing that the Ways and Means Committee is going to be looking at potentially in terms of taxes is, of course, President Trump's tax returns and um, whether uh, Chairman Neal wants to obtain those and release them publicly. And so far, he seems to be um, proceeding cautiously on that. Yeah. And actually, as part of the t uh, tax overhaul conversation, I know that Democrats have talked about looking at the individual mandate repeal that was in there. Um, and potentially trying to restore that. Obviously, that's not something that would go very far in the Senate, but it's something that you know House Democrats will probably want to talk about. Right, that's a good point. I mean, anything that House Democrats do on taxes is probably not going to advance in the Senate. Yeah, so I think with that, let's pivot. Um, so there are a lot of sort of areas of disagreement here and a lot of sort of partisan rancor um, that we're definitely going to see sort of continue as the, the debate over spending flips from 19 presumably on February 15th to fiscal 2020. Um, but what are some of the issue areas where we could see some bipartisan agreement? I know both Chairman uh, Yarmouth and Senator Rounds talked about infrastructure as one. Sarah, do you want to jump in on that? Sure. Uh, infrastructure does seem to be kind of an obvious area because it's something that was a major part of President Trump's campaign. He talked about his plan to um, get uh, $1.5 trillion of investment for infrastructure in the US. Um, and then there hasn't since been like a big movement in Congress to um, follow through on that. And then it's something that's a priority for Democrats. And uh, we have the highway authorization expiring after fiscal 2020, so um, after next September. So it's kind of the perfect storm of a priority for both parties, and there's a deadline to force action. But uh, that deadline is quite a ways in the future, so uh, I think you're gonna hear a lot of chatter on it, a lot of um, hearings, maybe some bills. Uh, but the question's really going to remain how to pay for it. Um, and that, what seems to be the division right now, at least for surface transportation, is uh, Democrats are saying, let's increase the gas tax, whether that's um, tying it to inflation, as uh, House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee Chairman Peter DeFazio has proposed, um, or um, Earl Blumenauer has suggested um, a five cent per year increase in the gas tax. Um, and Republicans seem to be a lot more interested in a vehicle miles traveled tax, which is where instead of taxing the fuel you use in your car, if you're driving, um, say, an electric car like a Tesla, um, it would track your, um, the distance you drive. And that's for all cars, not just electric cars, but it gets them paying more into the, um, the system. So Republicans seem really interested in that idea and switching over to it um, instead of going with the gas tax. Democrats seem to want to test it out a little bit more and um, pilot it. So that seems to be one area where um, we're going to see a lot of debate moving forward. But there's definitely like interest on all sides. So hopefully we see something on that. And I would just add, uh, we have um, interviews with the chairman and ranking member of the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee uh, on our podcast. So if you are interested in this topic, you can um, check that out and hear more from them directly. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we heard a lot of talk um, at the end of Senator Round's comments about cybersecurity. I think the other side of that coin is obviously data and privacy. Um, this could be an area where we see some coming together, although it sort of makes for strange bedfellows a little bit. Yeah, there's kind of bipartisan agreement that this is something that needs to be pursued. Uh, Democrats and Republicans have come together in saying that we need to regulate or at least address the privacy concerns raised by social media and tech companies having just 
unheard of levels of data about each and every one of us from our use. Uh, Senator Rounds talked about it in the banking and energy and utility sectors, but I think the, the attention is going to be broader than that. And part of that is because companies like Facebook and Twitter have now come to the table. And they are saying, after years of saying there's, there's no need for legislation on this, they're actually coming to Congress now saying, we need you to act. We need a national standard for this. And some of that is driven by the fact that the EU uh, enacted a very strong privacy regulation over there. California has enacted the same thing that comes into effect next year. And the, the tech companies want something a little more friendly to them. Uh, while advocates are looking for very more strict kind of uh, regulations like California and the EU have done. So there, there's definitely an agreement that something needs to happen. The, the disagreement comes about exactly what, which is pretty classic. Yes. Yeah, I think it's actually a similar dynamic. Um, we hear a lot about drug pricing these days. Obviously, there were, um, there were a couple of hearings yesterday on the Hill. And we know that Democrats think they can find common ground with President Trump, who you know, has made this a big issue, um, part of his administration, even going back to the campaign. Um, but the question is, you know, we don't know what they want to do exactly. I don't think they know what they want to do yet. But there's a couple of kind of things to keep an eye out on. Senator Grassley, who would probably be the one shepherding this through the Senate if legislation did move forward. You know, he's identified some of his priorities, which include importing drugs from Canada for personal use, looking at the patent system with generic drugs and brand name drugs and things like the CREATES Act, which he's uh, introduced before. Um, you know, those are things that have bipartisan support and you could potentially see moving forward. There was also, you know, some ideas floated around yesterday we saw coming out of um, the Senate Finance Committee, which he chairs. They were talking about um, looking at the way that Medicare pays drugs, pays for drugs, you know, to insurance companies and doctors and potentially making changes there. Um, they've also talked about pharmacy benefit manager rebates um, and assessing sort of how that system works. Uh, but there isn't legislation on that yet, so we don't quite know how it might shake out. And then, you know, on the House side, you know, it was a little more partisan because Democrats are, you know, going to keep touting their ideas to push for Medicare, you know, direct price negotiations, which is generally a non-starter with Republicans. Um, so it's still sort of early, but again, something that you could see moving forward at some point. Yeah, and I think one thing to note, especially on that, is, you know, a lot of these proposals have kind of been floating out for a, a while now, um, particularly related to some of the generic drug provisions. Um, but sort of staying on healthcare for a minute, um, do you think with the talk of pre-existing conditions, there's potential area for agreement there? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, you know, Democrats, when they took the House, they said from the beginning they want to bolster the ACA, um, and there were proposals last year from um, the ranking Democrats on the committees of jurisdiction in the House um, that kind of wanted to expand the ACA beyond even just pre-existing conditions, so looking at the low-income subsidies, can you give that to more people? Um, but then this court case in Texas came up that is potentially, you know, could overturn the law, although it seems like that's a couple years away, would likely be appealed to the Supreme Court. So um, that might be an impetus to actually do something. Republicans now, um, our, our colleague Alex Ruoff reported yesterday, there's an interesting dynamic now where Republicans who have traditionally been on the defense on the pre-existing condition issue um, are now trying to kind of rebrand themselves and say this is a big priority for us um, and that they really care about it. Uh, the question is, you know, I'm sure Democrats want to move more quickly than Republicans do on this and uh, their previous proposals haven't always aligned. So 
you know, again, it's still not sure. Yeah, there's a question about whether the the sort of Republicans during the election campaign were talking about various proposals and they did not necessarily go as far as um, the protections that were sort of written into ACA. Uh, right. They, um, you know, all of the uh, Republican proposals, the repeal and replace, dealt with pre-existing conditions. It was never the same or to the same extent as um, under current law, and I think that's what some Democrats and you know other advocates tried to attack them on that they wouldn't go as far. Um, but you know that's that's still a question of you know how would you structure the entire restructure the entire system and what might actually be able to move move forward. Yeah. Um, so uh, just we'll take a couple more minutes here and do a, a quick sort of lightning round, and then we can get to all of your questions. Um, Sarah, uh, Senator Rounds mentioned the uh, replacement. Uh, trade deal, the USMCA or United States-Mexico-Canada agreement. Um, what's the timeline on that and what will that debate in Congress look like since it is using the sort of expedited procedures? Right. It's um, going to be um, considered in Congress under um, Trade Promotion Authority, which sets up an expedited procedure um, for, for Congress to consider it. Um, one of the steps under um, TPA is uh, the International Trade Commission puts out a report on the economic effects of the deal. And right now, um, that report has been delayed because of the government shutdown until mid, uh, mid to late April. So, um, so that's um, something that Congress probably won't move forward with until um, the effects of it are known. Um, what sets a, a clock for them to actually um, move forward on implementing legislation for the deal will be when the administration submits um, implement the implementing text to Congress. So um, from then, the House has, I believe it's um, 60 days to um, pass, the, um, pass the implementing legislation, and then the Senate also has a short timeline. Um, and in terms of how the prospects are looking politically, um, Democrats are starting to raise concerns uh, primarily about um, enforcement of um, the labor and environment sections. So, um, so that's one major thing. There's also some concerns about the um, protections for um, drug uh, patents and uh, some concerns among Republicans about um, LGBTQ protections and to address some of those concerns, the administration could um, try to um, try bargain with members of Congress to get things into um, regulations that would address their concerns or um, you know, address things through other legislation. They could go back um, with Canada and Mexico and try to get side agreements to the deal. Or there's the possibility, if um, things are looking really bad, that they could try to actually reopen negotiations on the agreement itself. But that seems kind of like a last resort because I don't think any of the three countries really want to do that. So um, I think right now they're still kind of um, going back and forth and feeling out um, where everyone stands on the agreement and what its um, political chances are. Um, so we sort of grazed the topic, but um, Adam, what do you think... Uh, we'll see the Democrats in the House do on energy and climate, and what are some potential areas of agreement there? I know that the Senate had a bill up, or they had sort of teed it up, to uh, do a, a bunch of land exchanges, but there were some environmental policy provisions in that. Yeah, that, that uh, lands bill in the Senate, actually, the, the big driver of it was the Land Water Conservation Fund piece, and it's been held up during the shutdown. It might move uh, 
relatively quickly now that the, the shutdown has ended. On climate in the House, Democrats are, are going to be pushing it to the forefront pretty strongly. It's going to be a multi-committee effort, essentially. The Energy and Commerce Committee, the Natural Resources Committee have both indicated that they are going to push really hard on climate. There's obviously also the new Climate Crisis Committee. Um, that is going to, it doesn't have legislative authority or subpoena power, but it's going to hold hearings and kind of act as a, a record builder, a fact finder, to support the other committees in their legislative efforts. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has said that the 2009 carbon cap and trade bill is going to be the starting point for their, their plans on uh, limiting carbon emissions. We don't know how far that'll go, obviously, in 2009, 2010. The Senate never took it up. It died after the, the health care push. But we've also seen potential other avenues uh, come in. There was a bipartisan group, which I think was four Democrats and a Republican, who introduced uh, carbon tax and dividend legislation that would put a fee on all carbon that's emitted during uh, in creating fuels and in the automotive sector and in manufacturing. And then that money would go into a pool that would be evenly distributed to every adult and child in the country. You also have the Green New Deal that's been proposed by progressives. We don't know exactly what that is. Um, it, the details are still being worked out. But the basic idea is that it would totally decarbonize the economy and also create a jobs program at the same time. So you have these different avenues. And there's going to be a lot of internal debate, I think, among the Democrats before it even gets out to, to the House floor. And whether they vote on it this year or not, it's going to be, the idea, I think, is to tee something up for 2020. Um, Sarah, there was a big push at the end uh, of the year last year to regulate self-driving cars on autonomous vehicles. Do you think there's a chance that that comes back up? Well, you're right. It was a really big push. And I think people put a lot of effort into it and got really close to um, kind of working out the, the finer points of um, the um, the framework that they were going to put in place to regulate autonomous vehicles. And uh, it just went down to the wire, and they didn't get it done. And it sounds like people still really want to um, do it, but just the momentum isn't there that they had in the last Congress. Um, and some of the um, the sponsors of that bill, are the Senate bill, are kind of um, still interested, but also moving on to other things. Uh, so we could see a push to, um, to move forward with that again, but um, every month that this um, that passes that they don't have some sort of framework going into place, um, self-driving cars are coming onto the road more and more frequently. And so this is a technology that's actually going to be out there and it gets harder and harder to regulate. So um, if we don't see action soon, it's going to be um, you know trying to catch up with an industry that is now actually um, like fully like on our roads. Um, at the testing phase, if not actually like just rolling out to consumers. And the Transportation Department is doing, um, of course, um, some oversight of it, but um, Congress is really losing its window to weigh in, and I'm not sure they're going to get there um, in the near future. All right. If, uh, I don't know if anybody has any other thoughts about things that might come up. Um, we've heard some rumblings about p potentially a Higher Ed Act reauthorization, um, but the details on that are pretty sparse. Uh, I think with that, we can start taking your questions. Um, we Please do uh, use the microphones. We are recording this as a live episode of our podcast. Um, you can be famous with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if anybody has any questions, we are happy to answer them. We've got a couple over here. 
So uh, any thoughts on what uh, might be coming out of the newly renamed House Oversight and Reform Committee? So I think <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, the biggest thing that this committee is, is going to do, obviously, is oversight. Um, one thing that we didn't mention is the House Democrats election package, HR1. Um, the hearings are going to start on that, and that committee does have some um, jurisdiction over that. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing to see there, you're going to look at a lot of sort of piecemeal kind of ethics bills, I would expect. If you look through the sort of text of HR1, it's a, it's a very big amalgamation of, you know, campaign disclosures, lobbying disclosures, voting rights, expanded registration, you know, redistricting, all sorts of things, cybersecurity, election security. Um, and I think what you'll see is that sort of how the Republicans did it in financial services and the effort to sort of roll back Dodd-Frank where you have one massive bill, what they'll do is they'll start to pull piecemeal elements out of that and then pass those individually. Um, I don't know if you guys have other thoughts on the provisions of, of that bill that could maybe come out. Um, Anybody wants to jump in? It's pretty. I mean, it, it's usually. It, it seems pretty clear in terms of like what's within oversight and government reform. But aside from that, that sort of legislation and sort of you know kind of good government, you know, so to speak, transparency kinds of things. I would expect them to do extremely rigorous oversight of the administration. Yeah, and Chairman Cummings, going back to drug pricing, that's been a big priority for him. He introduced a couple of those bills earlier this year with uh, Bernie Sanders. So you know. It, there's a jurisdiction question of which bills would go through that committee, but either way, there you know we know he wants to do oversight of the drug industry, um, and that that will be a topic going forward. Yeah, and there was a, another question back in the back there. Uh, I guess this goes to Sarah. Uh, I may have misunderstood you, but I thought you said that the tax extenders package might be a carrier for the tech corrections. Uh, is uh, what are the dynamics there, and, and who's going to be taking the lead on on extenders and so forth? Sure. So, um, in order for people to um, claim these tax breaks that expired after 2017 on their taxes in 2018, Congress needs to act by the tax filing deadline of this year. I think the IRS would like it to be sooner so that they can get everything um, set to administer those. Um, that will be the first piece of um, tax legislation. Well, it could be the, one of the big first pieces of tax legislation that uh, Democrats move. And uh, Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal has said that he um, does want to proceed with those, um, at least some of them. And so that's an opportunity for Republicans to try to, um, to ask Democrats to also look at um, t making technical corrections to the 2017 tax overhaul. Um, I think what Democrats are saying is we want to give a, a hard look to any changes that we're making since you, you shut us out of the, the tax writing, uh, the, the process for writing the 2017 tax overhaul. You know, we're um, going to be um, pretty uh, judicious in what we uh, help you with in terms of making technical corrections, but there are some things that um, seem like uh, fairly straightforward things that both sides would want to address, for instance. Um, the 2017 tax overhaul um, um, created some problems for restaurants and retailers to write off um, their renovations. It just inadvertently um, increased the time that they have to um, write off the cost of their um, renovations. And so um, something like that is maybe something that Democrats could be have their arm twisted to 
um, support, but um, that gets into a question of do Democrats try to advance some of their tax priorities at the same time? So it's possible that this could be just, you know, just the tax extenders, but it's also an opportunity for, to address some um, bigger tax things. We've got another one right up here in the front. Um, so the government shutdown cost the economy a lot of money and significantly slowed its growth. Um, my question is what ideas are kind of floating around in legislation to counteract um, that slowdown and what effects that might have on funding and budgeting in the future, if at all? So I, I, th I think in the, in the immediate sort of aftermath of it, you, you sort of heard um, Representative Yarmouth and, and Senator Rounds talk about the, the sort of automatic CR, right? That would, if appropriations lapsed, a CR would Im immediately kick in and agencies would theoretically then be funded at existing levels or the previous fiscal year's levels. Um, you know, in terms of trying to repair the, the sort of damage or, or the cost, there hasn't really been much floated at, at this point. Um, you know, one thing you might see, um, and a few people have talked about it, is sort of expanding the pool of sort of back pay for affected contractors or, or, or businesses or other entities that, that do business with the government. It's not clear how, um, how likely that actually is. It's, it's sort of very easy for Congress to, to come in and, and sort of back pay federal employees. Um, but to expand that out, it, it sort of becomes a much more difficult question of, well, where do we draw the line? Um, you know, and then sort of looking more long-term, um, you know, to prevent the shutdown. I, I think you'll see that more politically than sort of policy-wise. Um, you know, the, the comments coming out of the Senate Republicans and, the, and sort of the Republican caucuses in general or conferences in general is that, you know, nobody wants another shutdown. I mean, the, 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 the damage politically, I think, is pretty clear. Um, you know, to, to everybody who's been watching the fight. Um, so I, I think that that is probably a motivator to sort of prevent it in the future. Um, and it, it really seems unlikely that Congress would be able to agree on any sort of legislation to kind of, you know, keep the government running automatically in the event of lapsed appropriations. I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on that. We've already seen uh, some Republican members of Congress say they would sign on to auto essentially automatic CRs as long as there's a 1% across the board reduction. Democrats don't want that because that gets you into kind of sequestration and in a, the ability to shrink the government through inaction, which Democrats don't want. On the economic front, the director of the Congressional Budget Office said that it was an $11 billion hit to the economy, the recent shutdown. Up to $8 billion of that could be recouped if uh, back pay and contracts go out the door really, really quickly. But the longer they take to process and get into the hands of employees and contractors, the, the less the, the, that we can make up economically, is what he said. Uh, anybody else? Still have a few minutes. Um, another one in the back. We've heard from this morning about you know, the Democrats won't move off of their policy points and the Republicans won't move off of theirs. Do you see a tipping point in the future where maybe you know, the Republicans be willing to put taxes on the plate or Democrats be willing to look at cuts to social programs like raising the retirement age? Anything that's going to kind of change this in transitions? I feel like they've 
failed in the past when they've tried to put together these grand bargains, you know, Senator Rounds, Senator Rounds was talking about, you know, ma mandatory spending and, um, and taxes, and, and that's a really hard thing to pull off. And, you know, they can't even agree on funding the government for the rest of the fiscal year. Um, so it sort of seems hard to imagine a really big package like that moving forward. Um, but, you know, I, perhaps there is a, a tipping point or some impetus, you know, um, the baby boomers retiring and putting a lot more pressure on some of those social programs, you know, maybe someone eventually will be able to push something forward. Yeah, I, mean, I think looking long term too with the, with the retirement of the baby boomers and the sort of expansion of those payments of benefits, like something will have to give. Um, but the question is sort of, you know, where and when, you know, and, and nobody really knows, um, you know, is there a tipping point? I mean, you, you'd like to think there is probably that that Congress could sort of come together and, and lead uh, in a way that they ha sort of haven't in a long time. But I mean, the, the you're talking about sort of the fundamental division of the parties at this point, which is on one hand, you have the, the Democrats fighting to preserve Medicare and Medicaid and expand the sort of, you know, kind of welfare state um, in the kind of traditional sense. And on the other hand, you have the Republicans trying to cut taxes and, and reduce that spending load. Um, so how you sort of pick and choose there, it's really difficult unless you're, you know, it's really difficult to go beyond sort of tweaking around the edges uh, of those issues. All right, I think we have time for, for just this one more. So this bipartisan group of all appropriations committee members that are trying to solve the budget, the border problem, can you imagine a agreement on a number somewhere between zero and 7.5 that could emerge from that committee, and I, any speculation about whether the president or the speaker would accept it, and would if, if the speaker did and the president didn't, would there be enough Republicans to, uh, to force it through? That's the five point seven billion dollar question, right? Yeah. Uh, I think all along it's sort of been a semantics question of how are you defining what this border security is and the president wants a wall or a barrier and you know you see maybe a little bit of um, softening there in the language he's been using and now Democrats coming up with you know we could envision more money for you know the technology and what other um, border enforcement um, so that there's a way that maybe they could both claim that they're winning on that. Right. We've even seen some softening a little bit on the Democratic side, too, saying there could be money for physical barriers if there's some kind of justification in writing that's, you know, bound by facts and data and backed up by it, that they could actually allow money to go for it in that circumstance. So they, they'll want some accountability on it if the money goes to a barrier, but we haven't gotten there yet, so there's no deal until it's all done, right? Yeah, and I think the other factor complicating this is what, you know, what will the president accept and when will he say that he'll accept it and will he stick to that statement of acceptance? Um, you know, we saw that in the CR um, deal right before Christmas when the shutdown started. Everybody was on board. The Senate passed the CR unanimously. The House passed it pretty close to unanimously uh, and then kind of not necessarily out of the blue, but kind of unexpectedly, the president said, I'm not taking this. And then 
the shutdown happened. Um, you know, so until until pen is put to paper, I, I think everybody's going to kind of hold their breath a little bit. Um, you know, but I, I think the the point is well made that you know the language has softened a bit on both sides. The president, in his remarks announcing the end of the shutdown, adopted almost verbatim the language that um, Representative Clyburn used about the smart wall and, and technology and, and, and things like that. So. Um, you know, the number I think will probably end up hovering around the the 5.7 mark. You know, give or take a, a billion or two. But um, you know, it's more about you know is is there enough there that the the sort of base of the president will kind of leave him be to to sign the deal. Um, so I think with that, um, thank you everybody. Uh, I'll toss it back to Lauren here, and um, we can send everybody on their way. Thank you.